0: beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sure you've probably heard the expression before, some things are easier said than done. Think of starting a business. It's easier said than done, or, or writing a book, or learning a language. There are many things really in life that are easier said than done. Perhaps... Perhaps the hardest thing, the, the thing that's, that most fits is, is this, the radical humility and self-denial that we're called to. In the afternoon service last week, we considered God's call for unity in the church in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. And, and we saw from the text how the way to get unity, a God-honoring unity, is through radical humility and self-denial. That's what we saw in verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Paul's saying that this is the way to unity. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? Here's the problem. It's not. This lowliness of mind, this radical humility and self-denial is not natural to us. It's not natural to any of us ever since the fall. When Adam and Eve took the fruit that God had told them not to, not to take and eat because they believed the devil's lie that if they ate it, they would be like God. Even after we've been saved as, by grace as Christians, real humility and self-denial can so often be so hard. It's a struggle for all of us, including, including myself. We're still so often full of self-importance. We want to be the first. We want to be the best. We want to be noticed. We want to be respected. We want to be recognized. We want to be honored. We want to be praised. We want our opinions to be accepted. We want things done in the church our way and we want them done when we say. And if it doesn't happen, then what happens? We, we sulk, we become bitter, we complain, we criticize and we maybe even start thinking about saying, see you later and hopping over to the next church or perhaps even forgetting the church all together. Radical humility and self-denial beloved. It's far easier said than done. In and of ourselves, left to ourselves, it's really impossible. We all have this tendency, you see, in church life, in home life, in school life, in work life, really in all of life, to be governed more by selfish ambition and a puffed-up ego than by genuine humility and self-denial. That's why real unity among Christians is so hard to get and to keep. And so the question, the question then is, how do we change? How do we change? What can save us from our natural tendency to be so self-focused, so self-seeking, so proud? The answer is in our text, in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. The way from a life of selfish ambition and vain glory from self-seeking and and, and pride to a life of real humility and self-denial is to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and how He humbled Himself to be the Savior of sinners. To look to Him not only as our Savior but also as our example, our text begins in verse 5 by saying, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it shows us how Christ humbled himself to be the Savior of sinners. Congregation, this passage is one Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. It's one of the most stunning passages in all of Scripture. And it's good to recognize then as we, as we meditate on it. It's good to recognize as one commentator wrote that no preacher or sermon, I might add, can do it justice. In a sense, that's true of all scripture, but especially also this passage. And yet we dare not pass over it. And so as we look at this passage together... Let us do so looking to the Lord, that silent prayer arising in our hearts. Lord, help me, help us to understand. Give us understanding, O Lord. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from thy law, from thy word. So we'll consider this text with that prayer then under the theme, the humbling humility, you could really say the humbling humility and self-denial of Christ Jesus. First, we'll see how high he was. And secondly, how low he made himself. And thirdly, how supremely God has exalted him. Our text starts with how high Christ was. How high he was before his his coming into the world as a man and and dying on a cross. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he tells us in verses 5 and 6, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, he says, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What he's doing here, congregation, what this text is doing is is showing us the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ before his coming into the world as a man and his dying on the cross. It's showing us how high he was. He was infinitely high. That's what it's telling us. He He was existing in the form of God. He existed in the form of the one who had created all things, the creator of the universe, the one who is infinite in glory and in majesty. But what does that mean, you say, maybe? Does it just mean he was like God? Does it just mean that he resembled God in some way? No, it means more than that. The word translated form here means, it refers not just to the outward appearance of something, but also to its essence, to its inner nature, to its character. So Christ Jesus being in the form of God means he is, in his very nature, in his very essence, God. Maybe thinking of it this way will help. When Paul describes Christ as being in the form of God, he means that if you and I could have seen Christ... Now, of course, we couldn't, you can't see God. He's a spirit, right? But, but if, if, we, if we could have, if we could have seen Christ before he became man we would have said, that's God. And we would have been absolutely right. If we could have seen Christ before He became man, we would have seen the infinite glory of God. A glory that is above the heavens. If we could have seen Christ before he became man, we would have seen the infinite majesty of God. If we could have seen Christ before he became man, we would have seen the infinite and the perfect wisdom, justice, goodness, and love of God. We would have seen the infinite power of God. We would have seen the total self-sufficiency of God. If we could have seen Christ before He became man, we would have seen the form of God, all the attributes of God. And we would have said, and rightly so, that's God. That's what His being in the form of God means. And so what our text is showing us, congregation, is how infinitely high Christ was before His incarnation, before He became a little baby lying in a feeding trough. Before He hung and died on the cross, He was in the form of God. He was God. Oh, When you think of how God reveals His own greatness and glory in creation, not only, but also but also in his word, especially in his word, that tells us just how infinitely high, how infinitely glorious Christ was. You think of how the Bible describes God, his glory as one who is, is high and lifted up, far above all nations, far above all peoples, far above even the heavens. God's word says that, that no one and nothing can be compared with God. And that means no one and nothing could be compared with Christ before His incarnation. Not even in heaven. Not even among the angels. Oh, the glory He had from all eternity. He was. He was existing in the form of God. How high He was. That's the point. Before He became man, Christ was infinitely high. But not, not only infinitely high, you see he was also rightfully high. You see, his glory, the glory that he possessed as God, was not a vain or an empty glory. You know, sometimes we, we live as if we're God. It's a vain glory. It's an empty glory, but, but not for Christ. That's what the second part of verse 6 is emphasizing. It says there, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In, in other words, Christ before his incarnation, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be snatched, something to be taken by force. Why not? Because he was already equal with God. He was in the form of God. He existed as God, and therefore he was rightfully God. That's the point, congregation. The divine greatness and the glory of Christ before he became man was not... Not a vain glory. It wasn't an empty glory. It was a glory He was worthy of. It was a glory He had every right to. It was a glory He deserved. Now do you see what this means? It means that Christ had the right to remain where He was. He had the right to remain in glory in heaven, high above all peoples, only as God. He had the right to remain only in his divine nature in the form of God alone. He had the right to remain infinitely high above the heavens. He had that right because he was God. And God, by nature, is not, was not obligated. He did not have to. He did not need to humble himself and save anyone. Now hear me carefully. I said, by nature... He's not out. By covenant, he is obligated. He has obligated himself, but not by nature. To, to put it this way, Christ, in his nature as God, had the right to never save a single one of us. He had the right never to become man and die on the cross because he was God. He, he didn't have to humble himself. And yet, That's what he did. In spite of his being infinitely high as God, and rightfully so, he made himself of no reputation. That doesn't mean he stopped being God. No, he made himself of no reputation. Not by ceasing to be God, but by taking to himself the form of a servant. Of being made in the likeness of men. We're going to look at that more in a moment. But, but the point here is this. Christ, as God, had every right to remain in His glory as God alone, but He didn't. He humbled Himself in order to save sinners like you and like me. And here's the application. We're to have that mindset, that same Attitude that Christ had. Whatever our position, whatever our privileges, whatever our honors, whatever the rights that we think we deserve, we're to make ourselves of no reputation. If we are confessing Christians, beloved, that is what we should be doing. How can we not? How can we who have confessed Christ not humble ourselves? How can we be self-seeking? How can we be arrogant and proud? How can we insist on things being done our way and right away? Didn't we confess when we came to Christ that we deserved nothing? Didn't we confess that we are sinners who are worthy of hell? Christ had every right to remain in His glory as God alone. He had every right to to demand that we all should serve Him and to punish us because we don't. He had every right to leave us all in our sin, in misery. He had every right to leave us all under the righteous judgment and wrath of God, and yet He didn't. And yet you're going to insist that everyone and everything has to serve you and do whatever you think? How is that the mind of Christ? Besides, what right do you really have anyway to insist on your own way? Who do you think you are? You're not God. You're a mere creature and a sinner too. Congregation, I'm speaking these words to myself, not just to you. Because so often, you see, we do things out of strife and vainglory. We insist that everyone has to serve us and do what we think, even sometimes when it involves a mess that we cause because of our sin. That's not humility. That's not the mind of Christ. No, beloved. Christ, as God, was infinitely high, far above us, and as God, he had every right to remain there in his glory, the glory of his divine nature. But he made himself of no reputation. How much more should we? As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, Though the Lord Jesus Christ was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Do you catch the wonder of this? Christ had perfect, infinite glory as God. He was infinitely rich, and yet for our sakes, for the sakes of hell-worthy sinners, he became poor to make us rich instead of using his greatness and his privilege and his infinite glory his equality with god something to be enjoyed for himself he chose to make himself of no reputation in order to save sinners like you and me that's the mind he had and that's the mind we should have too now it's important it's important to be clear here congregation because I'm afraid that some of us might take this and and, and really use it the wrong way. Our, our text is not saying that we should not confront sin. It's not saying that we should not seek justice when we've been sinned against. It's not saying we shouldn't discipline our children. It's not saying we should forget about church discipline. No, our text is saying do everything, even those things, things that God calls us to do with the mind of Christ, not out of selfish ambition or pride, but out of humility. Yes, out of a desire to serve others rather than a desire to have others serve you. Oh, what a wonder Christ's humility is, congregation. Maybe you're here this morning and you're unconverted. Do you see how Christ humbled himself, though he was in the form of God, though he was equal with God, though he was God, so that he might be the savior of the sinners like you, so that every sinner who repents and trusts in him might be saved? Don't you see that? Well, well, then how how can you dare to remain unconverted? How can you dare to continue in your pride and your arrogance? How could you dare to refuse to humble yourself? How can you dare to refuse to confess your sins and to come to Him in repentance and faith? Do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize how great the humility of Christ is? Do you realize that He was God? To remain unconverted, beloved, is essentially to spit in the face of God. To refuse Christ is to spit in the face of God. Do we understand that? All oh, the humility of Christ should humble us all. It should humble us all how high he was. But our text doesn't just highlight that. It doesn't just show us how high Christ was. It also shows us how low he made himself. Look at verses 7 and 8, Philippians 2. And keep in mind, as we read these verses, just what we just talked about, how high Christ was. He was in the form of God, he was equal with God, he was infinitely and rightfully high. But, verse 7, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. No, we should read those verses and we should be saying, Wow, wow, how low Christ made himself. He made himself of no reputation. That means he made himself nothing in comparison to what he was, to what he had. And again, that doesn't mean that he stopped being God. No, he made himself nothing by becoming a servant, by becoming man, by becoming like you and me. The, the rest of verse 7 makes that clear. It explains how he made himself of no reputation. He did it by taking upon himself the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of man. We we've just read in verse 6, He's the one who is being in the form of God. But now this one who is being in the form of God, the one who deserves all the glory and all service, took upon himself the form of a servant. You see, when he came into the world, he didn't come as someone great. He didn't come as a prince or as a king. No, he made himself the lowest of the low. He, the Lord and ruler of all, made himself a servant. He, the owner of the entire universe, made himself one who was owned. He, the king over all nations, made himself a carpenter's son. The foxes had holes and the birds of the air had nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his Isn't that amazing? That's how he came. He could have come differently. He's God. He could have come and consumed us. Consumed humanity. But he came instead and he served. He took upon himself the form of a servant. And what kind of servant? What kind of servant? Not an angelic servant. Not an angel. No. He being internally in the form of God, being fully God himself, was made flesh. He was made a creature. He was made in the likeness of men. Paul says elsewhere in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, he was made a real and true man, made like us in every respect, as it says in Hebrews 2. The only difference between his humanity and our humanity was that he was with us. Out sin. He, the one worthy of the worship of all creation, made himself a real righteous man, not to be served, but to serve. How low, how low Christ made himself! You see that with me. But we're not done. No. Christ went even lower than that. Verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, meaning when you looked at him, you all you saw was a man. He wasn't some, yes, flashes of his glory. He came out once in a while when he was on earth. But, but when you looked at him, you would have seen an ordinary man. Just an ordinary man. Without form and comeliness. Being found in fashion as a man. You wouldn't have guessed Unless you looked closer and the Spirit opened your eyes, you wouldn't have guessed he was God. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. That's how low he made himself, congregation. He not only made himself of no reputation by taking the form of a servant, by being made in the likeness of men. No, that was not low enough for him. That was not good enough for him. He made himself even lower. Having been made man, being found in a fashion in fashion as a man, what did he do? He, this God, who was now also man, humbled himself even more. How? By becoming obedient, becoming obedient to God's will, as a servant of the Lord, obedient to his heavenly Father's will for him. He came as a servant of the Lord we read about in Isaiah 52 and 53. He came not to do his own will, but he said, but the will of the one who sent him to be the savior of sinners. And he did it. He did it. He did his father's will not just here and there, not just occasionally. No, he did it his whole life and he did it perfectly. He fulfilled all righteousness all his life long. He obeyed God's law. He loved God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength. And he loved his neighbor as himself. Perfectly, he kept the law of God. He obeyed, but he... He did more than just obey the God's law in active sense, because if he was going to fulfill his father's will, you see, to save sinners, if he was going to fulfill his father's will to save sinners like you and me, he had to go farther. He had more to do. He had to take the punishment for sin upon himself. He had to be obedient even unto death, and he was. That's what the text says. He, Christ, was obedient even unto death. Though there was no sin in him, though he had never had done a single wrong thing, he had never had a single wrong thought, he had never spoken a single wrong word, he had never done anything wrong at all. Though he knew no sin, he was made sin. And he took the punishment for sin upon himself. Yes, he was obedient unto death, even the death of death of the cross. That's how he died. He died on a cross. He died on a cross. To die on a cross meant you were nothing. That's why people... Paul speaks of the the cross being foolishness. People despised the cross. It was for criminals. It was an instrument of, of cruel torture. It was a means of of shame and of excruciating pain. Christ on the cross became, as it were, a worm and no man. But by that death, he finished the work his father had given him to do. He finished what he had to do to accomplish our salvation. I, I cannot fathom the cross. I can read about it in the Gospels, but that's as far as I can go. I cannot understand all that he did, but but he did it. He took, yes, to die on the cross was more than just a symbol of shame and and, and pain and all of that. To die on the cross was to die a death. It signified you were cursed by God. That's how low Christ made himself. You know, he did it willingly. He did it willingly. Some of you, maybe you've worked on feedlots. I was at a feedlot the other day and I watched as the, the cattle were being driven onto the truck. And of course the cattle have no idea what they're, what's, that they're going to end up on somebody's table. They have no idea. And yet, you, you, you see them, they have to be driven on. They have to be prodded to get on. And I, I, I saw one, one of them try to turn around and try to get off that truck as if he sensed this is not good, this is not right. And he, 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 but they turned him around and they, 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 they prodded him and, 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 and he let out a, a ball, protesting. You see, that's so much what we're like when we're called to take up our cross, aren't we? No! What did Christ do? He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. so he opened not his mouth. Christ did not protest. He went willingly into those jaws of death, into the jaws of the curse of God. And why? Why did he do that, congregation? Why did he become obedient unto death? Even the death of the cross. This is why. So that by his obedience, many might be made righteous. So that hell-worthy sinners might be saved. That's what it was all about. We saw him. Mankind saw him. Humanity saw him. And we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But do you realize the reason? The reason he was smitten of God. Because he was wounded, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was bruised and crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. Do you see now how low, something of it at least, how low Christ made himself? How humbling that should be to us. You see, the death that he died, the death of the cross, shows us what we deserve because of our sins. In promulgation, we are so prone, I know myself, I know my own heart, we are so prone to think of sin as something less. We are so prone to think of sin as nothing major. We say or we at least think things like this, well, none of us is perfect. We're all sinners. We all all have our faults. I I can't help it. And and the thing is, that's all true in a way, but so often we say them in order to excuse our sin, in order to make it less, in order to make it not seem so bad. But beloved, what Christ suffered on the cross, the agony, the shame, the excruciating pain, the, the contempt, the curse of God, all of it is what we deserve because of our sins, because of our disrespect for our parents because of our anger for our children, because of our lustful thoughts and actions, because of our gossip and slander, because of our idolatry, because of all our sins, even the ones we think are just little sins. What Christ suffered on the cross, beloved, is what we deserve. Do we realize that? Do we believe that? If we did, if we do, then we should be so humble or not. It should make us low. And yet how thankful we can be that Christ came and made himself that low. What better news could there be for hell worthy sinners like you and me? You see, he came and he did all that so we might have forgiveness of our sins, through faith in Him, through repentance of sin and, and faith in Christ. We might have forgiveness. We might, yes, more than that, we might have a new nature so that we might have His Spirit dwelling in us to enable us and to, to, to equip us to be able to, to have this humility and this self-denial that is impossible to us by nature. You see, that's why it's so important to see, it's so important to see Christ in order to be truly humble and self-denying. How low Christ made himself. That, that was his mindset. But now the main point of our text is this, that his mindset is to be yours and mine. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're to think the same way as Christ. We're to think the same way as Christ. We're not to seek to grasp or hold on to honor for ourselves. Insisting on our own way, not in our homes, not in our marriages, not in our churches. No, nowhere. Instead, we are to make ourselves as low as we need to be to care for one another. Even if it hurts. That's how we live, you see, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so the question that this text is, text is asking us is this. How low are you? How low have you made yourself? What personal privileges? What personal comforts? What personal rights? What personal honors do you think you deserve? Which of them have you denied? Yourself? For the good, for the honor of your brothers and sisters in Christ, also here in Bethel Free Reformed Church. That, that's really what this text is asking us. What does your and my life show about our mindset? How much is it like the mindset of Christ? But you say it's so hard. It's so hard. Do you, 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 you understand? you understand? You know what she did? Do you know what he did? Yeah. Do you know what we did? Maybe you say at this point, well, what makes Christ's humility so special? What makes it so worthy of our attention and imitation? That brings us now to our third point. We've seen how high Christ was and how low he made himself. But he didn't stay there, you see. Our text also shows us how supremely, because of his humility, how supremely God has exalted him. Verses 9 through 11. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and of things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Yes, congregation, Christ made himself supremely low. But he didn't stay there. God, because of his humility, God has highly exalted him. You could actually translate it. It's a rare word in in, in the New Testament. You You could translate it this way. God has super exalted him. That's why Christ's humility is worthy of our attention and worthy of our imitation. For one thing, God has given Christ Jesus universal supremacy. He has made him ruler over all. He has given Christ Jesus the highest name, a name that is above every name. What does that mean? Well, it means he has made Jesus Christ the supreme ruler. It means he has made him Lord over all, just like we read in Ephesians 1. Remember a few weeks ago? Verses 20 and 21, God, it says, raised Jesus from the dead and set him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That's essentially what what verse 9 is saying. It's saying God has made Jesus Christ Lord. Yes, he was Lord already in his divine nature. You see, in his being made man, he had taken upon himself the form of a servant. He had humbled himself to fulfill his Father's will. And now God the Father has granted him as the Savior of sinners, not just in his divine nature, but in his glorified humanity, universal supremacy. There is a man on the throne of the universe, Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate. He has made him Lord and ruler over all. And you see the reason this is the point, the reason he did that was because of how low Christ made himself. What does it tell us? It tells us that God considers the humility of Jesus very special, very important, very worthy of our attention. He is delighted with it. He is pleased with it. That's what is granting him universal supremacy is telling us. It's telling us that God is pleased, God is satisfied with Christ's humility, and so should we. So should we. And that means we shouldn't look for any other way to be saved than through Jesus Christ, through faith in him alone. We should rest fully on him for our salvation. But it also means that we should be humble like him, not in order to be saved but out of thankfulness to him, out of a desire to reflect him more and more, to be conformed into the image of Christ, because that's what God wants for his people. That's what God's purpose is for his people. Because of Christ's humility, God has supremely exalted him, not only by giving him universal supremacy, but also by guaranteeing him universal worship. He has given him the name that is above every name. Why? So that. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what God guarantees. I'd like you to please turn with me in your Bibles back to the book of Isaiah. I wanted to read this, part of me. Said, I'll oh, just read it with the scripture reading. But then I thought, well, it makes the scripture reading too long. So, But I ended up thinking, maybe, maybe we can look at it in the sermon. Isaiah 45. Because we need to see the connection here. Paul here is, is not just making new words up here, he's actually referring to Isaiah 45, verse 22. And what's remarkable about this is that the one speaking in Isaiah 45. 5 verses 22 and 23, is the Lord Himself. Okay? Now let me read these verses with you. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear. That's the verse that Paul is referring to here in Philippians 2. You see what he's saying? He's saying that Jesus Christ is God. He is God. And he will have universal worship. Yes, he is Lord now. God the Son incarnate is Lord now, today. But not everyone admits that. Not everyone worships him one day, everyone will. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, one day, congregation, every one of us who are here, from the youngest to the oldest, will bow the knee. One day, every one of us who are here will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, every one of us who are here will worship him. But if you wait till that day, you will not worship him in joy. You will bow the knee, you will confess that he is Lord, but you will do so in terror, in fear, calling on the mountains to fall on us, Don't wait. Don't wait till then. No, because he tells you about this day. He tells you that God tells us that he has guaranteed the universal worship of Christ today so that we might bow the knee today, so that we might confess him today as Lord, so that we may worship him not with terror, but with joy now and forever. Well, then don't proudly stay away from Christ. Don't proudly remain in unbelief and sin No, but humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and come to Jesus. And this is his promise. Look to me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth. Be saved. And and his promise then also, as we seek to walk in his steps by grace, looking to, to him for help and strength every day. To have that humility. This is his promise. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. Not to the position of Christ. No, his, He is preeminent. But yet we will be lifted up. We will be exalted. That's God's promise for His people. Oh, how supremely, how supremely God has exalted Jesus Christ because of His humility. He delights in Christ's humility. And so He delights To see that humility also among believers, among the church, in the church of Jesus Christ. That humility and that self-denial. Let there be an encouragement also to us. To let that mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Trusting in him as Savior. And following him as our example. God helping us. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we have come to this passage. we stammered out a few things about it. But none of it can capture the glory of Jesus Christ and the glory of God in him. We can never fully comprehend the love of Christ. And yet thank, And thanks and praise be to God that we can comprehend it. We can begin to through the Holy Spirit. So we pray, O oh Father, that this word that was brought this morning would not only open our eyes, would not only cut open our hearts, convict us of the pride and the self-seeking that we so often have, but it would also... Your Holy Spirit would also lead us in a way of true humility, Christ-like humility, Christ-like self-denial. Help us all, Lord, to search out our own lives, to see where we can apply this. We ask it in Jesus' precious name alone. Amen.